Welcome back to another episode of GEMS Podcast with Genesis Amaris Kemp, where the core pillars are to educate, inspire, and motivate. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this segment. Welcome back to GEMS Podcast. I'm the founder and host, Miss Genesis Amaris Kemp, and with me today in the hot seat is Bethany Snyder. And here's a bit about Bethany. MPP, she is an advocate, advocacy strategist, enthusiast, optimist, and the founder of Snyder Strategies, LLC, a boutique consulting firm she formed to share and leverage her deep understanding of the advocacy world with nonprofit and membership-based organizations. With nearly 25 years of experience in communications, advocacy, and public affairs, Bethany is a seasoned professional and a nonprofit advocacy expert. She has been on all sides of the advocacy desk as a grassroots advocacy director, a lobbyist, a consultant, and a communications director. But last but not least, a U.S. Senate staffer. She'll help turn your supporters into lifelong advocates and donors. Who doesn't want that? Bethany received her Bachelor's of Arts in Sociology and Women's Study from the University of Iowa and has a Master's in Public Policy from the Humphrey Institute of Public Affairs at the University of Minnesota. In her spare time, Bethany leads Central Iowa Rainbow Families, which provides support, social, and advocacy opportunities for LGBTQ-identified parents in Central Iowa. She and her partner are also donors and active volunteers for family equality. And without further ado, please welcome Bethany Snyder to GEMS Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. My pleasure, Bethany. And before we dive into our segment, which is going to definitely focus on nonprofit advocacy, I want to know you on a personal note. So I'm going to give you two options. We can play a rapid fire game, which consists of 10 questions, or Mm -hmm. we can break the ice. Which would you like? Uh, Let's do 10 questions. Woo! So we're playing rapid fire with Bethany and Genesis. Here we go. So question numero uno, dream car. BMW. Two, coffee or tea? Coffee. Three, Apple or Android? Oh, Apple. (laughs) Okay. I'm partial Apple. I have an Apple computer, but but a Android phone. (laughs) Okay. Four, if you could have any superpower in the world, what would it be? Mind reading. Five, if money were no option and you could go anywhere around the world, but here's the kicker. You just found out that they are no longer flying back to your home base for various reasons. Where would that be? Mm. I've always wanted to go to Fiji, so. Okay, six. Mm. If you were a fly on the wall and you got to eavesdrop on any conversation, what conversation are you eavesdropping in? Oh, oh that is a tough one. Um, I would say um, eavesdropping on my parents talking about me. <laughs> Seven. Okay, here's a good one. 
If you could go back into time and give your younger self a piece of advice, what would it be? Oh, don't worry about others. Be you. Don't be small. Um, live in like, just live in your full authentic authenticity. Eight favorite movie or book. My favorite movie is hands down dirty dancing. <laughs> oh, nine. Okay. If you could, Oh, never mind. I don't want to do that one. Mm-hmm. So you're on a deserted Island, right? Bethany. There is a shop on the island, but your funds are limited and you only have three items that, to choose from that you could purchase. So you could choose from two bananas and a mango, a t-shirt or a CD, but there may not be a CD player. What are you choosing? Two bananas and a mango. Yeah. Okay. And 10. This is the pass or play. So if you play, I ask you one last question. If you pass, you can ask me a question. Okay. What are you doing? Passing or playing? Pass. Okay. What's your question? Um, what is the most um, exotic place you've ever visited? Ooh. Ooh, I've been down to the Caribbean. I don't know if I would consider it exotic. So... I've been to Jamaica, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, which is where my mom's from, the Bahamas, St. Lucia. I think they're all exotic in their yeah, own way. That sound, yeah, that yeah. Delightful. I'm a little biased because my mom is West Indian, so she's Caribbean, and my oh. dad was South American. So. <laughs> Thank you for playing Rapid Fire with Genesis. Now let's jump into our segment which is nonprofit advocacy. So Bethany, I want you to tell the listeners what made you get involved in nonprofit? So I've been engaged in nonprofits and nonprofit advocacy specifically my whole entire career. Um, I have always had that kind of activisty perspective. I was the one in my social circle who's always like the cruise director. I was always organizing people, getting people hyped up. Um, And I also felt really deeply as a kid, a sense of like social justice and wanting to fight for that. So those two together kind of bring you to, um, I think, an advocacy perspective. So, um, but I really feel deeply about nonprofit advocacy. I feel it's, we need nonprofits to be engaged in advocacy to make our, to make our democracy work well. I really feel it's that core to our um, country. Nice. And You know, there are some misnomers out there because sometimes people don't want to necessarily get involved in the nonprofit space, whether it's working or donating, but I want to tackle the working piece Mm -hmm. because everyone has said, oh, if you go work for a nonprofit, you don't get paid that much money, Mm -hmm. but so you should definitely love what you're going to do if you tap into this space. What would you like to say to those individuals? Well, I've I've worked in nonprofits or I've worked for for for-profit consulting firms that provide services and nonprofits. So I, um, and then I've also worked in the government sector. So I've never worked for corporate America, but um, I would say, and I've made really good salaries that I've turned behind, I've turned down because I needed to be involved in mission-based work. Um, for me, it's really a passion and I can't, and I cannot spend eight hours a day not doing something that I don't care about. And I don't feel as 
furthering our community and our world. So for me, that's what it comes down to. And if you, I think it, you can make a good living and you can make good money working in the nonprofit space. You just have to make sure you uh, know how to sell yourself, know how to research those nonprofits. Um, and really, I always say, look out for number one, right? Regardless if you're working in for-profit or nonprofit, always look out for your own career. That's sound and solid advice. Um, so what I took away from that is look, look out for your own career. So be your own advocate and champion mm -hmm. when it comes to making those career moves research the nonprofit um, agency that you are trying to work with or partner mm -hmm. with. And then um, three, I guess, negotiation, because if you have that art of negotiation, you negotiate your salary up front, you could definitely come out um, on the other side of the table without feeling that you're not getting paid your worth. Absolutely. And there's lots of other benefits to work at a nonprofit. Sometimes a salary might be lower, but I've found increased flexibility or benefits or vacation time. And those are all things that are really important to me as well. Yeah, that's a good point. I've um, always been in corporate America. So I spent 15 years there. And then I recently applied for a few nonprofit jobs. Didn't get it because my background is oil and gas. So it's kind of hard mm -hmm. to show how your skills are transferable, even though supply chain, you could do that in any industry because you're always managing people and there's various moving components. Absolutely. But, but one thing that I do like about the nonprofit space is the amount of work that they do and how they're actually out in the community. They're not sitting behind mm -hmm. desk or whatnot, but they're becoming the face of the community. So looking on um, from the outside in, when you were working for nonprofit, what are some of the ways that you got people engaged to give funding to those agencies? Well, that's a really good question. So it's interesting to think about the intersection between advocacy and fundraising. And oftentimes this is not something that nonprofits think about. Um, actually, they sometimes see them as competing. So I worked at a large, not, a large health voluntary nonprofit that has a very recognizable name. And um, when I first started working there as a grassroots advocacy director, I remember some of my goals were, okay, you need to build, we need you to recruit 3,000 people to your action network. And this is an organization that recruits 1 million, purportedly, 1 million people in the state do a walk every year or, you know, these, you know, walks for this organization. So I thought, well, that should be simple. I assume you've already talked to those 1 million people and asked them if they want to be engaged in advocacy. And they're like, no, we don't do that. And that their thoughts were, no, you go out to community fairs and health fairs and you recruit people from the outside. And I said, why would we go outside this building to ask people to take action on our legislative priorities when there are 1 million people who have already said they're committed to what we are. And so what I did was I went to those development directors, those fundraisers, and I said, hey, let's work together. And there's a lot of compelling reasons for doing advocacy. Um, donors are advocates who are donors. Donors who are advocates, advocates give 60% more money, donate more money than donors that aren't advocates. An advocate is seven times more likely to donate to your organization than a non-advocate. And all these things, what they just show you is it's bringing people closer to your mission. Right. And what I also love about advocacy and fundraising is oftentimes nonprofits come and they're like, all I do is feel like I'm sending out fundraising requests. I'm just asking my people for money. What's great about advocacy is you can ask them to do lots of things that don't involve money. Contact your lawmaker, tweet about this, tell your friends and family about how we can um, 
you know, just think about how we can cure cancer through increasing funding for research, right? So there's so many ways to, to engage your donors in your mission that may not be asking them for money, but that will encourage them to give more. Absolutely. So some of the um, nonprofit agencies, or I don't even know if you would say um, agencies that I've partnered with have been um, American Cancer Society. They do mm -hmm. the Relay for Life, United yes. Way. I've done their golf tournaments. Mm -hmm. um, also Junior Achievement. Mm -hmm. are just a few and some of the things that we do are like different open houses where mm -hmm. you bring people together and of course if yeah. you tell them oh we're gonna have refreshments or there'll be lunch or dinner people are gonna flock because they're like oh free food yeah and then you tell them about your mission and mm -hmm. how that mission ties to them and then I also know from the cancer standpoint that for me felt real being an advocate, but also being a donor because I've lost loved ones to cancer. Mm -hmm. So I felt compelled to give to that organization because I wanted to, you know, push the needle for, further to help find those cures and stuff. Absolutely. So I feel like if you um, reach out to people who are already tied to a specific um, need and passion, they'll be more um, they'll be more susceptible of donating their funds to that organization. Or sometimes people just need to know what is your organization about? How is it adding value? How is it helping the community and et cetera? Versus just getting that phone call. Hey, would you like to donate to St. Jude? Or hey, would you like to donate to the American Diabetes Association? Because that's not personal. People no, want to know. Yep, that's transactional. And fundraising and advocacy and nonprofits are all about relational. Absolutely. So let's talk about some, uh, what does the life of a of a non advocacy, uh, no, a nonprofit advocacy look like? What are some of the things that you do on a daily basis to really help mm -hmm. um, promote your mission? Yeah, definitely. So some of the things that um, so I own my own consulting firm called Snyder Strategies, and I work with nonprofits around the country um, to better engage their people um, in their advocacy goals. So what that means is what I taught say is nonprofits, all we have is our people. Corporations can give right campaign checks, can give money um, to get what they want. All nonprofits have is our people. And that's so powerful. That is actually, I think, more valuable than campaign checks. And I know it's hard to think in the cynical time, but um, that is so valuable. So um, off, so what I do with my clients is I'm often definitely doing strategy. So if a, my, one of my clients is Head Start California and they're trying to get $50 million from the California legislature to go towards Head Start. I mean, great mission, right? Head Start, the most vulnerable families and children in the state. Um, and so I work with them on strategy, on talking points, on messaging, on who are we targeting, which lawmakers are we targeting this week and which advocates do we need to target? Is this a grass, grass tops? ask. So those like your highly engaged folks, maybe your agency leaders, or is this grassroots who are asking those parents and um, just your allies to engage? Um, that is what a lot of my time is spent doing. I also work with my clients. Um, oftentimes, they just they just can't figure out the secret sauce to get their people engaged. And it's hard to ask them, why won't you take action when I ask you? You say you're belonging to this organization, so we do, you know, pass policy, yet when I ask you if you to contact your lawmaker, you won't. And sometimes the members won't tell them, but they'll tell me because I'm a stranger, I'm not part of the organization, <laughs> they don't have any personal connection to me. So I often do these things called advocacy roadmaps where I'll talk to their donors and their members and I'll say, hey, 
why aren't you engaged in advocacy? What could the organization do better? What isn't compelling? What isn't clicking? And then I can help the organization develop strategies to better engage folks. I like that because you're asking the what and you're getting to the root cause of it. Mm -hmm. And once you get to the root cause, then you could provide solutions to bridge the gap. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing is just making sure people are staying engaged. So how do you feel about team buildings? Because I think if profit organizations could do it, why can't nonprofits do it? Like have those team team building activities with, Mm -hmm. you know, the people that are inside of the organization. And once you build that strong team, then you could really have a united front that will help externally. No, absolutely. That's actually really a great point. So when I work with my clients, and I my ex, um, policy expertise is in the healthcare and public health sector. So I work with a lot of like, think about provider medical groups, public health associations. Um, so one of the things they say to me is like, we need to get patients involved in advocacy. We want patients involved in advocacy. And I say, well, have you, does your CEO know what you're doing? Does your COO, does all your staff already engage in advocacy? I would say, you need to clean your own house before you go outside asking other people to get involved. And I call that circles of engagement. Oftentimes people want to jump to this like outside folks, but I'm like, you need, why would someone else outside your organization want to engage in advocacy if your own people inside don't want to? Like, let's start with them first and then you can build upon that to start engaging others. So absolutely. Yes. And then let's focus on patient advocacy right now Mm -hmm. because I feel like um, I've been on both sides. I've worked in the cancer center before and Mm -hmm. then I've also advocated. So sometimes patients don't feel like they are really being seen and heard and doing Mm -hmm. both of them together. And I feel like sometimes doctors are only looking at it from a monetary standpoint, Mm -hmm. when in actuality, it should be a partnership between the patient and the physician to really build an effective synergy and have those relationships where that patient Mm -hmm. wants to, once they finish their treatments or whatnot, they want to be a part of the community. They want to give back. But if they feel like they're just a statistic, they're just a number, they're not going to be reluctant to, you know, support that organization, even though it may help somebody else, because they're like, who was there to help me when I needed it? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, That and that what's great about engaging patients is they have such a story to tell. And those personal stories are really what drives our legislative change. I know we don't think about that very often, but Anyone can share stats and figures. I can tell you, you can tell me how many people are dying of cancer, how many people will get cancer, right? But that's impersonal. But what really touches people's hearts are those personal stories. Like I said, I was a United States Senate staffer. And when we would talk with people, my boss wouldn't next day remind, he wouldn't be like, oh my God, did you know that so many percentage of, you know, black folks get cancer? That's not what we are talking about. He was like, do you remember that mother telling me about her kid who couldn't access cancer services? Right. It's that story. And I think that's where the really the power comes. And even with staff of the organization, it's about telling that story that really brings light to those um, stats and statistics. And then also when you're telling those stories, have a diverse group of people that are sharing their stories to really show um, to the people who are interested in donating that we are passionate about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belong, and make sure those are people who've actually benefited from that organization. Don't just hired, paid, and trained actors or actress to be the um, poster, the poster board people for your campaign. No, you need to make it real and relevant in my opinion. So, um, 
what are some of the experience there whenever y'all are making like promotional materials and just really trying to get out in the community? What are some things that you've seen that have worked well? Oh, that is a great question. And I mean, it, especially when it comes to healthcare, no one can say health inequities are the bit, that's the biggest challenges in our healthcare system. And that there's definitely, we need to, for all of us to be healthy, we need to address that. Um, I worked on an awesome campaign in Minnesota um, to get folks cut when the Affordable Care Act was first passed and there's healthcare expansion for access to insurance. And so I led this great campaign around across the state to get folks to sign up for health insurance. And we knew that the people who were most uninsured were people of color, LGBTQ folks, the refugee and immigrant community. And so my number one goal was to make sure I hired organizers from those communities. I wanted to make sure there's a huge Somali population in Minneapolis. I had two Somali organizers. And there was no way that we could have made inroads into those communities without those folks able to speak the language, live in the community, and know the people also had, you know, Spanish language speakers, we had LGBTQ outreach folks, and then we had the rural areas, we had folks from greater Minnesota who had lived and worked in rural communities, I was going to bring someone from Minneapolis out to Thief River Falls to tell them why they should sign up for health insurance, so I think definitely you need to be, and it was hard, I would say it could have been easier for me just to hire a whole bunch of white people who look like me, but that wasn't going to be successful, nor was it the right thing to do. And so it really was very intentional and took a lot of time, but was so powerful. Yes. And how can we challenge more people to really, one, look at nonprofits, two, really advocate, but make sure when you're advocating, it should be heart-centered because mm -hmm. I think heart-centered is what's going to speak. A pair of lips can say anything, mm -hmm. but if I see that your actions are aligning with your words, that's also going to sway me. And then mm -hmm. three, always being, always be open to learning and growing, whether it's receiving feedback, whether it's surveys or et cetera, but you definitely have to make it practical practical and also put it in layman terms like sometimes mm -hmm. if you're using these big words and yeah. jargon that people don't understand who aren't in your field they're going to tune you out and I'm just going to be real because if someone comes to me even though I'm very educated and you say something that just goes over my head I'm not going to stop and engage in the conversation because you've already went over my head and I've checked out no absolutely messaging and is one of the, I think one of the most important and overlooked things when we do nonprofit advocacy. So many of the folks who do nonprofit advocacy are public policy professionals. I might be, in, I guess I'm included in that as well. Um, but they will, what you need to write for lawmakers or for legislation is very different than how it's going to compel you and me to take action on an issue. And I can't tell you how many healthy debates I've gotten in with um, the public policy professionals about we, like, we just should not use that word. That word does not mean anything to anyone outside of this room or maybe the five other people who know that word. Um, so a great example is I'll, I lived in Minnesota for a long time. So I was working on the, um, it was a it was smoke-free campaign, right? Remember back in the early 2000s, we were passing clean indoor air laws. Yeah. Can you talk about a culture change? Um, oh, yeah. People yeah, used to smoke, smoke in the office and have liquid. The grocery store. If you could smoke while you're that ashtrays on the grocery carts. Anyway, um, it's so hard for people to think now, but we called it the freedom to breathe campaign. 
And how powerful is that? It's positive. Who doesn't want to breathe? Anyway, um, and it, it just, it was just a great, powerful message that can relate to people um, in the restaurant industry who were great advocates for us. They were definitely the people who were adversely impacted every day by um, secondhand smoke. Um, but then also just relates to folks like you and me who just don't, you know, we just want to have the freedom to breathe where we're sitting. Um, so I think that's a great example of turning something into taking, it, it could be a more complicated issue, but just really boiling it down to something that people can relate to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and another thing I was thinking about, because I have so many ideas and questions that I want to ask, but I have to be respectful of your time. So what are some other myths in the nonprofit space that we could debunk um, briefly, because I feel like people really need to understand nonprofit from a holistic view mm -hmm. in order to move past some of the preconceived notions and assumptions. Yes, there are so many when it comes to advocacy. The number one thing is people think that nonprofits can't do advocacy. So there's this, does, there's this tax status for nonprofits called 501c3s, and that's what most nonprofits are organized under this tax status. And somehow there's some kind of cruel rumor that's been going on for the last 50 years, I don't even know when it started, that people think that we're a nonprofit, we can't do advocacy, it's against the law, which is completely untrue. Now, of course, there are rules, there are boundaries, there are things you need to pay attention to, just like any industry, but it's not against the law for a nonprofit to engage in advocacy. I've only worked in nonprofit advocacy for 25 years, so I've made a life out of it in multiple nonprofits. So I think that's the first one. I think what happens is people confuse advocacy with politics, and what politics is, is very clear in the eyes of the IRS or funders, it's political parties, candidates, and elections. So as long as you don't say solving, you know, curing cancer is a democratic idea, which is, um, it's not, you know, anyone can get cancer, whether you're a Democrat or Republican. Um, you can say, or say like this candidate believes stronger in research funding than this candidate. If you, as long as you stay away from political parties, candidates, and elections, you can talk about your issues. Another good example is I'm part of the LGBTQ community. Some people wanna steer away from those issues. They say it's too political. My life is not political. People politicize my life, people politicize my family, but I'm not inherently political. Um, people politicize issues. I think face masks is a great example. Those are not a political issue, but all they are, you know, and are there are been politicized. So I think people get really confused about that. And as long as you're talking about your mission and why we need to cure cancer and why we need um, LGBTQ equality and how it impacts our lives or why we need to focus on health and equities, um, you are fine. You know, that's just educating and talking about your mission. Absolutely. And one thing that I like that you said is stop politicizing it because then that begins to take the mission away. But mm -hmm. look at it from a diversity perspective. How are we diverse when we're talking about this nonprofit? How mm -hmm. is it equitable across the mm -hmm. boards, no matter where you come from? Where's the inclusivity? Is everyone being inclusive? Mm -hmm. And how do people feel like they have a sense of belonging? Because that's the, the new thing that's added to D-E-N-I is the B, the belonging. Mm -hmm. And you and all of it has to work together in order for those synergies to really take effect and really be efficient and productive in the space. Absolutely, absolutely. 
And Bethany, as we um, wind down, I want you to leave the listeners and viewers with your call to action, whether you want to challenge them to do something in the nonprofit advocacy space, whether you want to share some resources or whatever the case may be, because this show is about educating, inspiring, and motivating while bridging the gap for a DEI and B. Excellent. Well, I would just say, I think I want every single person this year, if your legislative session is not over, I want you to think about an issue that you care about. Look up an organization who deals with it and call your lawmaker and tell them why it's important to you. That's all. It takes five minutes. Their whole job is to listen to their constituents. I know sometimes we, we don't see that or it seems hard to see that, but really their whole job is to listen to you. Just call up your lawmaker and leave them a message or tell them about an issue that's important to you and what you wanna see happen. So one of the main barriers people have to engage in legislative advocacy is they think, does my lawmaker wanna hear from me? Do they wanna to talk to me? They get intimidated. Um, you hire them and fire them through elections and you pay their salaries through taxes. You are the boss, call them up and tell them um, about a, an issue that you're passionate about. But remember to be kind and courteous. Don't be mean to the people on the phone. <laughs> Someone has been on the phone. <laughs> Absolutely, that's a great call to action. Hold your legislative accountable and let them know um, what some of your concerns are and what some of your feedback is because they're not mind readers. And if no one calls them and let them know, they're not gonna know what's going on or what is needed. So Bethany, how can our listeners and viewers connect with you via your website and share where you primarily hang out on social media? Yeah, definitely. So you can check me out at snyderstrategies.me.me. Um, and I'm primarily on LinkedIn and Facebook. At, you can look at my page, Snyder Strategies or Bethany Snyder on LinkedIn. And I love to comment on various nonprofit advocacy topics and other things going on and lots of LGBTQ topics as well, if that's something you're interested in. So yeah, find me there and hit me up. And there you have it, listeners and viewers of Jen's podcast. You just heard Bethany Snyder, the nonprofit advocacy expert. She's definitely going to hold you accountable in this space, but then she's also going to bring you topics that are educational so you can learn more about the work that she's doing to help out communities, whether they're near or far. And if she can do it, you can too. So make sure you subscribe and share this segment. We're on 40 plus platforms. To see video components, you can head on over to YouTube and type in at GEMS with Genesis Amaris Kemp for all things video. And lastly, but not least, I want to thank you so much for continuing to support the mission of GEMS podcast. Because of you, we are now ranked in the top 3% globally out of 2.8 million podcasts per www.listennotes.com and we wouldn't be here without people like you so I would love for you to become a sponsor so head on over to genesisamarskemp.net and find out how to become a sponsor click on that podcast tab until next time peace love and lots of blessings have yourself an amazing day and take that challenge actions without work is void so go take those actions. Thank you for listening to another segment of GEMS Podcast. Hope you enjoyed this recording. Make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe to GEMS Podcast on your audio platform, as well as our YouTube channel, GEMS with Genesis Mars Kemp. We would love for you to be a sponsor 
So please reach out via email at gems, G-E-M-S, with W-I-T-H, Genesis, G-E-N-E-S-I-S, Amaris, A-M-A-R-I-S, Kemp, K-E-M-P, at gmail.com, where your brand, your swag, your services can be here on GEMS Podcast.